Hello, hello. Welcome back, guys. It is time for another episode of the Caught Red Podcast. As always, I am Megan Light. And I'm Jesse Light. And we're just a couple that likes to talk about some true crime, a little bit of horror stuff like movies and shows and such, and then, of course, our doggos. I took Ripley today. She had to get her annual shots done, and she was such a good girl. And her DNA test. For the oh, second time. Yes. Yes. I love that I can ask Dr. Katie. I'm like, hey, you got a muzzle? Yeah. Because Ripley doesn't like people touching her <laughs> her mouth or her teeth. She actually has a has a BB left in her lip on her left side, I want to say. Because who knows what her past has. She's from the hood. Yeah, she, she we know we guess she got shot at yeah. least once by something like a BB gun. Well, hopefully we'll get a more accurate test results. Yeah. If you've seen pictures of Ripley, you could be like, oh, that's she's got to be part Aussie, right? Because she's got the blue Merle and the blue Oz. But according to a wisdom panel, we did a DNA test on her through them. They said she was only 2% Australian Shepherd. And we're like, that, that can't be right. Along with like 20 other breeds. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's obviously made of oh, for sure. everything under the sun. But there's no way that... So I got... I ordered... Um, what is it called? Embark. And we did that test today and I'll send it off tomorrow. So here in a few weeks, we'll have more results to either compare to or just accept the fact that she is part Minpin and, and Beagle and Chihuahua and Chow Everything. Chow and whatever else. But when I took her, somebody was not very happy today. Oh, she was pissed. Derby was pissed. She did not get to go Geo. She was not happy. She was not happy at all. She's probably plotting my death the whole time I was going. For sure. Where you at, Mom? And then we went to her, her grandparents' house. And if Derby had known that, she'd be really, really mad. She's not going to have it. Anyways, we started making up some merch. Getting there. Getting there. I made us uh, a couple of shirts and hoodies to kind of test on this one website, and they came in Saturday. They look great. So now Jesse and I are going to go around to some printing companies that are in the area near us, and hopefully hopefully we'll have some ordered soon. Shop local, right? That you damn right. And we've got some stickers and magnets that have come in, and they turned out really well. So we still need to figure out, you know, putting those up somewhere or y'all can contact us and we need to get like a, a P.O. box still and... We're figuring it out. A few more things. Yeah, but step, we're on our way. Step by step. We're getting there, love. Yeah. Then I was trying to remember, because we always talk about things we've watched and we haven't really watched too much. Jesse attempted to watch Army of Darkness with me the other night, but it was too late and he passed out and... <laughs> It was like the best part is when Ash goes on his journey to go get the Necronomicon so he can go back to his century. I just wanted to hear, yo, she bitch. Let's go. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. You made it to like that part and you're like, all right, <laughs> I'm done. Then we started the movie Slayers last night. It's got Thomas Jane in it. It's supposed to be like a funny, goofy vampire hunting movie. Solid three out of ten on IMDb. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's so bad. No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Well, I can kind of see it. But, like, I liked it as far as we got into it. It's got some shitty acting, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We watched 
The Call, which is a solid go-to in our house with Halle Berry and Abigail Breslin, Halle who's also Berry. in, who's also in uh, Sly, uh, Slayers. Abigail Breslin, she's in there yeah. too. But uh, that's I love that movie. Halle Berry's badass. I like it. She's a dispatcher if y'all haven't seen it, and she's she gets uh she takes over a phone call, and it's Abigail Breslin. She got kidnapped from a mall, and it's just her trying to save Abigail Breslin's life. It's good. It's a real good one. But honestly, what we watched the most of this past week. Nailed it. Nailed it. Oh, my God. That's where all of our time went, I swear. downward spiral oh, of cake God, making. Oh, it's so fucking funny. <laughs> Terrible cake making. Oh, but... if you want to cry, laugh like me, please. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Watch Nailed It. And, like, if you need a pick-me-up, you need a laugh, watch it. If you think you're a terrible baker, I promise you, you're probably not. After you watch these people, because they break everything down for them, but they're so like scatterbrained and rushed, if they would just follow the directions. Oh yeah, some of them are easy to yeah. make. Like I could do it. Like that giant chocolate um, face. Yeah, come on. Lollipop thing they did on this one episode. It was literally a big thing of chocolate, and all they did was decorate it. Now that might be difficult if you're not very artistic. I can see the decorating part sucking for you, but the like baking part, I think you can, you can do it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Well, we have a different breed of case today, right? Yeah. A little bit. Somewhat. It'll Somewhat. be interesting. I'm excited to hear about it. I didn't. No, it's pretty different. I didn't look into it very much because I, I wanted to oh, learn good. along the way. I do have a fun fact for later on after you're done telling okay. that mom and dad told me about Zeta. Oh, yeah. I so, figured you'd bring that up at some yes, point. Yes. I re-asked them about it today when I was over there. So without further ado, you ready, love? Let's do this. Let's go. All right. Well, my sources today, Arkansas Travel Guide, mobmuseum.org, legendsofamerica.com, crystalridgedistillery.com, hotsprings.org, Wikipedia, of course. Oh, always. And Encyclopedia of Arkansas, of course. Right smack dab in the middle of Arkansas's Washita Mountains, you, about 55 miles southwest of Little Rock, sits Hot Springs, Arkansas. It is the go-to location for people all across the state who are outdoor lovers like ourselves mm-hmm. who are looking for some place to relax and get away. The spa city. Yes, a network of springs flowing out of the ground at an average temperature of 140 degree, 143 degrees Fahrenheit, which is perfect for Megan. Oh, my God. Melt me, please. <laughs> That's what inspires this town's name and attracts most of its visitors. And for thousands of years, these waters located in hot springs have brought in visitors the Native Americans called this area the Valley of the Vapors. Huh. And it was said to have been a neutral territory back then where all tribes could enjoy its healing waters in peace. So you got hot springs, naturally heated springs. They're protected as part of Hot Springs National Park. But the city and the park are, are connected in such a way that visitors may feel like they're staying in the park itself. Hmm. Yeah. Arkansas, you know, may not seem like the place that would immediately come to your mind when traveling, thinking about dining, entertainment, and shopping, right? Yeah, we're hicks. (laughs) (laughs) But the town of Hot Springs, I mean, it checks off most of those boxes. It's got the horse racing track and a casino, 
It's got the water park, Magic Springs. Oh, yeah. Of course, I don't know if we've ever been there together, have we? I've never been At ever. All? Oh, I've only been once or twice. We had Wild River Country. Yeah, closer. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's got a wide variety of restaurants and boutiques. So the city has a very rich history as well that most people don't know about. In fact, before Vegas was even a thing... Hot Springs was the place to go for all the big-name celebrities and people with money and importance. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's the first thing you think of when I mention Hot Springs? Oaklawn. Oaklawn, yeah. Oaklawn. So it's not the mafia? Well, n- no. <laughs> no, but after today, it might be. Yeah, for me, it probably will be. I mean, we've we've gone to Hot Springs in the past for, what, we've, we've gone to Oaklawn once together i went a separate time Why? did you go twice did, i think we went twice yeah no luck there we suck at that <laughs> and then we we drive through there to go kayaking on the caddo river yes i would much prefer to keep going and go to the caddo than yes, go to. for sure i'm just not and then we've been to a few gambling. trade shows with your brother oh yeah food shows yeah and then i actually had state finals in basketball there Long, long time ago. I had a at lot the convention of center, gymnastics competitions Summit. there as well at the convention center. Yeah. Convention center. I got it. Yeah. So, Same. yeah. Although it was looked at as a place for peace and tranquility, Hot Springs has a history of violence, crime, and corruption dating all the way back to the 1800s. Of course it does. Yeah. So, if there was ever a time for us to wear fedoras, now would be that time. Just during this episode, if we had that would be really cool. (laughs) I know, not like they could see us right now, right? But for us, (laughs) just for our own entertainment, yeah. Some of the most notorious names in U.S. organized crime vacation in Spa City names like Al Capone, Albert Anastasia, Bugsy Siegel, and Carlos Marcello. Hot Springs, believe it or not, was the place for gambling, bootlegging, and prostitution for decades and decades. And I know we're going to go way back here, but it's really interesting and something I had no clue about. And being so close to home is crazy to me. I mean, it's, what, about two hours, I guess? From us? Yeah. Yeah. It would probably be even faster if there wasn't so much shitty construction on the way. I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. And I had no clue that Arkansas was the vacation spot for some of these names. Like... But also, we hadn't really strolled down the streets of the, of their town and seen the Al Capone uh, statue sitting out there. I didn't even know there was one. Yeah, That's cool. There's a bench, and he's just sitting on the bench outside of a club. Really? And, yeah, and then you've got the Gangster Museum and all these historic we'll plaques. we Just to check it out? I'd be down. We can act like tourists one day. Sure. So, <laughs> while the healing waters of Hot Springs were always a reason to visit illegal gambling really became a thing in the late 1870s a man named frank flynn was in control of all gambling operations around this time and the police department and the sheriff's office were all corrupt so he just paid them off to prevent any interruptions of his illegal activities Mm -hmm. he paid more to the police than the county sheriff's And he'd use them to collect unpaid debts and to run any competitors out of town. And Frank Flynn, he owned seven different gambling houses, and he was known as the boss gambler. Dun-dun. Dun-dun. He really 
had the illegal gambling all to himself for a minute there, and no one really wanted to challenge him until a man named Jim Lane of Illinois came to town in 1880. Excuse you, Derby. And he opened up two gambling halls, the Palace and the Monarch. He wasn't about to team up with Frank Flynn either or pay him a percentage. And as you probably expected, this doesn't go well with Frank Flynn, and he wrecked the Palace Casino with some of his thugs. And as a result, Jim Lane fled Hot Springs and made his way to New Orleans. Hmm. Can't take the heat. Get out the Hot Springs. Oh, no. You don't like that? I expected you to hit a da-dun-dun. Oh, You need to get that on there. Uh, Well, not everybody liked this illegal gambling and what came with it. It was a lot like the Wild Wild West, really. You got this guy named Charles Matthews. He was the editor of the Hot Springs Daily Hornet, and he really made a fuss about it and called out the mayor for allowing it all to happen. T.F. Lynn was the mayor at the time, and he was also the judge at the time. How convenient. Yeah. Judge, jury, and executioner all in one man, pretty much. And he came across Matthews in the street and pulled a pistol on him, shooting him three times. Hell yeah. Right? And he also wounded a city councilman who just happened to be in the line of fire. Like, sorry, bro. And naturally, the mayor was not charged in the aftermath. Kept his status as the mayor, of course. I was going to say, you go to court and he's like, I'm fine. Yeah. It's <laughs> it like was me. Friggin' tombstone over here. But somehow the editor, Charles Matthews, survived this shooting and continued on with his attack of the mayor and others involved in the gambling business. He had some balls, huh? Damn. He accused two men, Samuel Fordyce and D.C. Rugg, of working with the Frank Flynn, the boss gambler guy. Mm-hmm. The two men owned the Arlington Hotel in Hot Springs. Oh, we've yeah, been which there is still for there, right. the big catering job said, uh, we had, God, I was probably in high school. I think you've heard dad tell, tell you the story about we had to park down in a weird spot, like in the parking garage area and had to walk almost a mile up to serve food and then come back. We had like freight elevators we had to take. We, I mean, ugh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it the was- Arlington hotel was named after these guys well i guess it might have been the other way around actually they're called the arlington gang the three of oh, them okay and charles matthews beef with the arlington g- gang did not go well so he ran into fordyce and rug on the street and fordyce hit the newspaper man with his cane yeah fordyce road well there you go i wonder if huh. that's named after him it could be. Okay, I'm sorry. That just clicked no, in my good. head. Go ahead. <laughs> Matthews, the editor guy, pulled out his gun in self-defense, firing once and hitting Rug in the leg. And he tried to get away, but Frank Flynn ran him down and shot him dead. So the editor finally, finally, finally dead. died. Yeah. The Arlington gang were all charged with manslaughter. But Flynn and Rugg were acquitted while Fordyce was fined 200 bucks for starting the whole altercation when he hit Matthews with his cane. Oh, Lord. All this, yeah, just reminds me of Tombstone, the movie. And my mom would love that. Oh, you've only, you haven't seen it? I don't know if I've seen it in its, like, entirety. Well, it's not horror. Sorry. Without commercials. Well, it's all just anarchy. It's people anarchy. getting shot and killed in the streets with no consequences. And that, that 200 bucks, 
So that's like $6,000 today, basically. Okay. Yeah. Then in 1883, a new competitor came into town, a man named Alexander Duran. He met the Jim Lane in New Orleans, the guy who fled. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if Duran came to town to avenge Lane or if he just wanted to go toe-to-toe with the Arlington gang himself. But he reopened Lane's palace castle, and also he refused to pay Frank Flynn a percentage or get intimidated by him. He was not scared. He was actually really known for his shooting abilities, and Flynn made the mistake of challenging Duran to a duel. Yeah, didn't go too well. He got shot in the chest, but survived. And uh, this beef, you know, it went on for a while, Duran killed 10 of Frank Flynn's men before he was eventually killed in 1888. Wow. So he only really lasted about five years in Hot Springs, but still. And Frank Flynn continued to control all gambling operations after that and continued to use the police to collect his debts and force competitors out of town. In the 1890s, the Hot Springs Police and the County Sheriff's Department would clash over who controlled the illegal gambling activities. And this is kind of what this case is going to be about. Okay. It's the Hot Springs Police versus the County Sheriff's Department. Interesting. And this is led to what would be known as the Hot Springs Gunfight, or some people called it the Hot Springs Shootout. But it, it, it occurred on March 16, 1899, and it resulted in the death of five officers. So Thomas Toller was chief of police for the city of Hot Springs during the Frank Flynn and Duran feud, and Bob Williams was the Garland County Sheriff. Okay. And these two guys butted heads over which law enforcement agency would control the gambling activities. Ah, jurisdiction issues. Yes. And, yeah, they both wanted, you know, their fair share of illegal profits that came with it. Mm-hmm. And the new mayor during this time was William Gordon, and he announced his efforts to crack down on the illegal gambling. Now, Police Chief Toller, he openly disagreed with Mayor Gordon. He had strong contacts inside the gambling community and didn't want to lose that. Meanwhile, Sheriff Williams, he publicly showed his support for Mayor Gordon. And he, I mean, he still plotted to get his illegal gambling profits in secret, but he supported Mayor Gordon nonetheless. Yeah, I would want him on my side, too, if I ever need anything. Yeah. And also, I'm just thinking, Oaklawn, was Oaklawn a thing yet? Or they were just doing... Oh, okay, never mind. It'll soon be... A thing. Because I was thinking in my head, if Oakland was in, within city limits, then that would be the Hot Springs Police Department, not the county. So he wouldn't have a bid. But if it's not even a thing yet, then the legal gambling is probably happening all over. Yeah, this was 1899. In the county, in the city. So Oakland yeah. didn't open up till 1905, but really not, I mean, five not years later, off. six years okay. later. So I'm with you. On the morning of March 6th, 1899, a candidate for mayor, C.W. Fry, held a meeting at the city hall with Chief of Police Toller and other members of Toller's group were present. I know it's a lot of names that you're going to have to keep up with here. That's okay. 
and I don't know the purpose of the meeting, maybe something to do with the upcoming election. I'm sure it had something to do with the current mayor, Gordon, and all the illegal gambling and their opposition towards them. Right. They're going to form their own little committee. Maybe. That was in support of yes. illegal versus the other guy. Right. Well, okay. Someone there at this meeting went straight to Sheriff Williams and told him what he heard. So there's a snitch somewhere in there. Getting stitches. <laughs> yeah. And when Sheriff Williams found out about this meeting, he was not happy. So Sheriff Williams stormed from his office, went downtown, where he ran into his friend Dave Young, who was one of his deputies. The two men entered the Klondike Saloon, where they discussed the earlier meeting. Meanwhile, police sergeant Tom Gosley was eating at the Kareen Remington Cafe. And after finishing his meal, he went to Toby and York's barbershop on Central Avenue to get his hair cut. He had left his 44 caliber revolver in his desk at the police station, but he did have a two-shot Derringer with him at the time. And Sheriff Williams and Deputy Young left the saloon and walked down the street where they saw Gosley leaving the barbershop. Sheriff Williams and Young started talking shit to Gosley. Oh, here we go. And when it appeared Williams was reaching for something in his coat pocket, Gosley quickly drew that Derringer <laughs> out. But Young, the deputy, stepped in between them and kind of broke it up for the time being. And, and Williams showed that he didn't even have a weapon inside mm -hmm. his coat. So, But then Sheriff Williams saw his son, Johnny, approaching, and he passed him a forty-four caliber revolver, right? Now, Johnny's one of his deputies. And Sheriff Williams fired on Gosling, who returned fire with his two-shot Derringer, both missing. Gosley escaped down an alley. He later meets up with Chief Toller and another officer later on. Toller notifies a prosecutor who issued a warrant for the arrest of Sheriff Williams. Dear Lord. Yeah. So 14 shots had been fired during that exchange. <laughs> Obviously just two from the Derringer. So the other Holy guys cow. used their 44s and shot quite a few times, all missing. Puts a lot of... A lot of hope and dependence <laughs> on these men. Right. <laughs> Terrible shots. Uh -huh. And Chief Toller suggested that Gosley meet with Johnny Williams to try and patch things up with him before the situation got any worse. And in the meantime, Toller would meet with Sheriff Williams, kind of do the same thing, mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's going to be such a good idea. I mean, they just shot at each other. <laughs> right. It's like, I don't. Think that's and they really don't fixed. like each other in general. Yeah. Well, around 5 p.m. that same day, Captain Haley and Sergeant Gosley walked down Central Avenue, meeting Deputy Sheriff Johnny Williams and Deputy Sheriff Coffee Williams. Coffee? Yeah, I knew that would get your attention. Hello, Coffee. That's the brother of the sheriff. Okay. And then another deputy sheriff was there, Ed Spear, and they were all in front of a grocery store. And they greeted one another cordially, even jokingly. You know, John Johnny Williams commenting that he just wanted everybody to be his friend. Like, come on, guys. Everybody loves everybody, as Will Ferrell would say. Oh, no. E-L-E, everyone loves everyone. <laughs> no? What movie is that from? Uh, Semi-Pro. Never seen it. No? no. Oh, God. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chief Toller and Captain Haley went into the beer depot where 
Haley's brother-in-law, Lewis Hinkle, was the bartender. Okay. Okay. It was here they were to meet Sheriff Bob Williams. And Coffee Williams and Ed Spears soon joined them in the bar. So everybody was in this bar. This is where shit was about to go down. I don't think you should mix alcohol with bad behavior and then guns. Here we go, guys. It's not going to end well. Captain Haley told Spear, I understand you have told people that if I put my head out, you're going to shoot it off. And Spear seemed stunned for a moment and replied that anyone who said that was lying. Well, the bartender, Lewis Hinkle, standing behind the bar, became enraged and said, don't you make me out to be a liar. Oh, no. So he was the now one the bartender's getting pulled in. Oh, no. Well, yeah, the bartender's the one that starts this shit. So in one quick motion, Lewis Hinkle, the bartender, grabs Spear around the neck, pulled out a knife, and slices Pierce's throat. Shit. And as Pierce struggles to get himself free and stop the bleeding, Captain Haley's over here saying, for God's sake, stop. Well, Hinkle wouldn't let go. But Spear finally wrestles free and pulls out his pistol, shooting Hinkle in the throat. So as Hinkle's staggering backwards, Coffee Williams shoots him in the chest one more time to finish the job. (laughs) Then Johnny Williams shoots Gosley once in the knee and then once in the groin. Ouch. Ow! Gosley returns fire, shooting Johnny Williams in the head. Yeah. Oh, he killed the guy's son. Kills the county sheriff's son, yeah, Johnny Williams, and then Coffee Williams shoots Gosley, killing him. Shit show. So Captain Haley, he's still alive, one of the few. He flees when the first shots were fired, which left Chief Taller outnumbered. Uh Uh-huh. He's the only one left of the police side of things. The city side? Yeah. Taller began shooting at Coffee Williams who ran into the street and took cover behind a freight wagon. Ed Spear, who was still bleeding from the neck, the knife wounds, began shooting at Taller. Coffee Williams did as well, and Taller returned fire, hitting Spear in the shoulder. Taller moved to a position where he could get a shot off at Coffee Williams. They exchanged shots back and forth, and Taller was hit twice, killing him. Oof. And when Taller went down, the shooting stopped. So Taller, Gosley, and Hinkle are dead, and Johnny Williams is lying there dying. Mm-hmm. Spear was bleeding pretty bad, but he would survive his wounds. Right. What? Crazy. And unfortunately, the shooting was not quite over just yet. So hot That was like phase one? Kind of, yeah. I mean, Hot Springs Detective Jim Hart heard from a concerned citizen and responded to the shootout. Sheriff Bob Williams arrived about the same time to see his son's dying there. Oh, no. And he sees Detective Hart, and he goes up to him and shoots him point blank in the face, saying, here's another of those sons of bitches. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck this city. And that's the end of the shooting there. (laughs) Oh, my God. Stupid bartender. What are you doing? It probably would have happened regardless, one way or the other. I think it's crazy, though, that he, the bartender guy started it, and then they both one from each team shot him and killed him, and then they start shooting each other. It's like, why did you even start doing that? <laughs> Crazy. People talk shit about each other all the time. Uh-huh. Well, you just can go around shooting people. Damn wild, wild west. 
Jim West, Desperado. <laughs> Is that Will Smith? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I hear Wild Wild West, I always think of that movie. That's a good one. Before he started slapping people in public. <laughs> so you got Constable Sam Tate and his deputy Jack Archer removing the bodies, taking them to the funeral home. Mayor Gordon called an emergency meeting and replaced Chief Toller with a uh, new chief, L.D. Belden. Gordon and Belden selected 150 men to carry out armed patrols of the city, but tourists were beginning to leave in large numbers anyways. Right. <laughs> Newspaper reporters from the Arkansas Democrat and the Arkansas Gazette converged into town. Wait, those were two separate papers at one time? I guess so. Now they're merged, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So it looked like the county sheriff's department won that battle, <laughs> if you Needless ask me. Needless to say. But the following day, Sheriff Williams, his brother Coffee Williams, and Ed Spear were charged with murder. They were arrested, but all released on bail. Spear and Coffee were found not guilty by reasons of self-defense. And the trial of Sheriff Bob Williams ended up in hung jury due to conflicting testimonies from witnesses. Mm -hmm. So, self-defense, I guess, maybe I could see for those two. I mean, maybe Hinkle started the whole damn thing, so... Damn it, Hinkle. <laughs> I guess Hinkle technically was on the side of the police. Hot Springs police? Yes. Yeah. I guess. No, he was the... He was the uh, Whose neck did he cut? Ed Spears. And Spears was from the county? Yes. Okay, then yes. I would definitely say he's on city side. Yeah, because he was the brother-in-law of Captain Haley of the police. Oh, okay. Hinkle was, yeah. Yeah, he was definitely mm -hmm. in with them. Damn, bro. Right. Wrecking shit. Now, remember that the county sheriff's department were on the side of the mayor to crack down on the illegal gambling, so... After the gunfight, Frank Flynn was forced out of town by a citizen's commission, but illegal gambling didn't quite go away, and the corruption within both law enforcement agencies remained well into the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Arguably, the main reason people go to Hot Springs nowadays is, is for the Oaklawn Racing Casino. So the former pasture where Oaklawn Racing Casino Resort stands now was home to spontaneous races between local farm boys riding their fastest ponies. How and fun. This, yeah, that was like pre-Civil War days. And Oaklawn Park opened on February 15th, 1905, originally costing $500,000 and could seat 1,500 spectators. Of course, nowadays... God, it's shit. freaking huge now. <laughs> Everybody in Arkansas goes <laughs> nowadays. It was owned by Louis Sella and his brother Charles, both of St. Louis, Missouri. And the track has remained in that family ever since. Really? Yeah. So a bill in 1907 was approved that prevented betting in any manner in Arkansas on any horse race. And it wasn't until 1916 that it was allowed again. The main reason for this was due to fires in 1913 that w caused a massive downturn in tourism mm -hmm. in a hot springs. So all the city leaders needed to find a way to draw tourists back into the city. So they're like, well, let's allow this to happen some more. Bet on some horses. But again, in 1919, the 
track was closed after a ruling that horse races were illegal again, so they just couldn't make up their damn minds. And then they get tired of not having money. Yeah, like... Bring it back. Yeah. So in 1929, another bill made it through both the Arkansas House and the Senate, only to be vetoed by the governor at the time, Harvey Parnell. And I actually remember that name from high school Arkansas history class. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, oh, that sounds really familiar. And then in 1934, a group of Hot Springs citizens and businessmen, along with the new mayor, Leo McLaughlin, formed the Businessmen's Racing Association and announces that races would be held that year. So that, that name just sounds like a bunch of douchebags, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> Business races, businessmen's racing association. Association. Yeah. So that move was inspired by growing national interest in the sport of thoroughbred racing all across the nation, and of course, their need to draw more visitors to the city again. And they held the first Arkansas Derby in 1936, and attendance after that, year after year, just increased and increased. And I'm saying all this to say that. The horse races really attracted a lot of mafia-type people to Arkansas. I think even more so than the hot bass, but the hot bass were a thing, too. I mean, over a million bass a year were given during the, the 1930s. Wow. Mayor Leo McLaughlin's campaign promise was to run Hot Springs as an open town, which included legal gambling... He overlooked hotels that advertised the availability of prostitutes. And there was off-track booking available for nearly any race in North America. So he was the boss of Hot Springs, I guess you could say, for the next, like, 20 years. Wow. They're like, we like what he likes. Well, he also used voter fraud and other unlawful tactics to build his whole little political machine there. So, Oh, a tactic still used mm, today, huh? That's what I was going to say. Sounds a lot like the mayor in Little Rock, if you ask me. And other places. <laughs> yeah. There was a former sheriff who attempted to have the state's anti-gambling laws enforced, but he ended up getting murdered in 1937, and no one was ever charged for his murder. Mm -hmm. So, hmm, fishy, fishy. So between 1927 and 1967, Hot Springs operated the largest illegal gambling racket in the country. Damn, at least we're famous for something else. Right? <laughs> Infamous, maybe. During this mayor's reign, I guess you could call it, some of the most infamous names that frequented Hot Springs were Oni Madden, Bugs Moran, Lucky Luciano, and Al Capone. I love these names. I know, they're so, they're so cool. cool. Some of their favorite hangouts were the Southern Club, the Ohio Club, the Arlington Hotel, and of course, Oaklawn Racetrack. The Southern Club is now actually the Wax Museum that's there. Oh, we need to go there too? Yeah. And then the Ohio Club is considered to be the oldest bar in Arkansas. And oh, then, it's still functioning as the Ohio Bar? I believe so. Ohio Club. Ohio Club. I don't know if it's called club or bar now, but yeah. That's really cool. And then, of course, Arlington Hotel still has guests. Mm-hmm. So Al Capone, he first came to Hot Springs in the 1920s to strike deals with moonshiners in the area. And he actually purchased a dairy outside of town and turned it into his own moonshine distillery. Oh, cool. 
And Capone placed his moonshine in clear glass bottles and called his product Mountain Valley Water, named after the water company in town. Yeah, I was about to say. And he would then (laughs) smuggle his moonshine in tanker railroad cars, I guess kind of disguising it as water. Not a boy. Get you some. Yeah, right. So Capone, he often rented the fourth floor, the entire fourth floor of the Arlington Hotel for himself and his entourage. Back then, the suite he stayed in contained a secret getaway, like a little passage he could get out if he needed to. And it's, it's closed up now, but I just found that really cool. I would leave that open. I'd be like, you can pay extra if you want to stay here right? and have this passage. Also, there was a window that had direct view of the Southern Club, and Capone had lookouts that would signal for him for when it was safe to leave the suite. So he'd just look out the window and be like, all right, it's clear. And head, head into town. Now, Al and his brother, Ralph, they enjoyed the horse races at Oaklawn. He enjoyed the bathhouses, and obviously he was involved in the gambling, and they golfed, too. Oh, well, there so you I go, think, love. I think we could have been friends. Just because I'm golfing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Capone golfs, I golf. Besties. Yeah. And when I mentioned his entourage, I'm talking like 40 men would Shit. be with him all known to be like violent thugs in Chicago. But while they were in the small city, they were peaceful and friendly. And I'm sure with that many people or with that many men together, nobody was stupid enough to fuck with Al Capone anyways. Right. If you knew who he was and knew the name, you'd be like, no, thank you. Not going to try anything. But like I mentioned anyways, with the Native Americans at the very beginning having this truce that there'd be peace in Hot Springs. Mm Mm-hmm. The same pact was kind of made between rival mobsters when they visited Hot Springs. So oh, there's nice. supposed to be no feuds. It was kind of like John Wick when they stayed at the Continental Hotel. It served as an underground society of assassins, basically. It's kind of like that. No business was allowed on site. It's kind of like a neutral ground. No hostile actions can take place. And, of course, like John Wick, not everybody followed those rules. Of but course. For Hot Springs, the criminals, they had an agreement. They couldn't kill each other there because it would bring too much heat on the town and the governor might shut them down and they would nobody would want that. So, now, Al Capone, he was later sent to prison for tax evasion in 1931 and by the time he was released, he was pretty sick and he ended up dying in Florida in 1947. But the Arlington Hotel actually named... The suite 443 after him. It's now the Al Capone suite. That's cool. Yeah. Another very well-known mobster that spent a lot of time in Hot Springs was Oni the Killer Madden. What? Yeah. He was also known as the English Godfather. Oh, no. And in his younger years, he was part of Hell's Kitchen group of outlaws called the Gopher Gang. (laughs) And he later rose to the top of New York City's criminal hierarchy He was a convicted killer, and the New York State Patrol Board actually granted him permission to leave New York under the condition that he'd never return. Oh, my God. They're like, just get out. So, like, You damn gopher, get out of here. Get the hell out of here. Come to Hot Springs. And like most of the mobsters that came to Hot Springs, he he just wanted a slower lifestyle than the one he lived in the fast-moving New York City. Oni made a fortune in New York City during the Prohibition and the illegal liquor dealings 
and he was also a boxing promoter and partners in Harlem's Cotton Club. He was in his 40s, and he didn't have the best health. He had a bunch of old bullet wounds. I imagine. And a doctor advised him to soak in the hot thermal baths and hot springs to relieve the pain of these gunshot wounds. Oh. So that might be another reason why they all came down there. Because they all have holes in their bodies yes. that aren't supposed to be there. <laughs> yes. And he met a gift shop clerk there, Agnes Demby, and married her and settled down in Hot Springs for the rest of his life. I think he lived to be about 70. And he used his business skills to make more money in Hot Springs in the illegal gambling operations. And a bunch of his buddies would come down to hang out with him, and they'd soon realize that this was the perfect place to hide out for, for criminals running from police investigations. <laughs> like Lucky Luciano... Bugsy Siegel, Dutch Schultz were some of the names of his buddies in New York City, and they'd all come see him. And he owned a sh an interest in the Southern Club as well. Then there was Alvin Creepy Carpus. No. Uh, yeah. How unfortunate. Who was... <laughs> what a name. Hey, Creepy, come here. He was America's last official public enemy number one. And he often made Hot Springs his hideout as well. And he was part of the Barker Carpus Gang. These and, names are killing me. Right. And they mainly committed crimes throughout the Midwest, but their first murder actually occurred in Pocahontas, Arkansas. Oh. So, of course, they hid out in Hot Springs where no one cared. <laughs> right. <pretty much. laughs> and they'd stayed at the Hattery Hotel, which was run by a Grace Goldstein. And she had a thing for bad boys, I guess, because they fell in love and got married. I don't care what you did in your past. Yeah, well, she managed a brothel, so she couldn't oh. say much either. <laughs> Two peas in a pod. Yeah. And, of course, police, they just looked the other way. Mm-hmm. Well, in 1936, Carpus and one of his accomplices were renting a house near Lake Hamilton, and the FBI raided that house. And I don't know if Carpus had the jump on them or what, but he, he wasn't there when they raided it. He was already on his way to New Orleans, but the FBI later caught up to him and he was sent to Alcatraz. Yeesh. Well, the city continued to be home for criminals until the 1960s. Bugsy Siegel ran a Flamingo Hotel in Vegas, and it was believed that he got his vision for that hotel from his many visits to the casinos in Hot Springs. The Flamingo. Yeah. I wonder if that's still open. I don't know. I recognize Google the it. name. I'm going to. Pull that up. Gangster activity really slowed down in the 60s, though, because there was a federal crackdown. You got Governor Winthrop Rockefeller and Circuit Judge Henry Britt. They enforced the existing state laws and eliminated the gambling laws that had been made legal in Hot Springs. Rockefeller sent in state troopers to close down the casinos and burn their gaming equipment. The only legal form of gambling after that was the Oaklawn Racetrack. Yes, it is still open. It opened in 1946 and ah. has been taken over by different ownerships and renovated and such, but it is still open today. That's cool. Well, even with the crackdown on illegal gambling, Hot Springs continue to grow. It really transformed into a destination for retirees from around the country, though. You've got Lake Hamilton, and then you've got a bunch of different golf courses to enjoy. I mean, my dad's looking at moving down there, too. 
Whatever. If he'd ever find a place, but your dad, I swear. <laughs> he was looking for a while. He's been looking in Cabot. He's been looking yeah, there. Everywhere. He's been looking Heber. <laughs> well, today the Oaklawn Racing Casino Resort in Hot Springs has had a hundred million dollar expansion that was completed last year. The casino, we've walked through it, it's pretty nice. Over 1,500 slot machines with all the latest themes. They've got everything from blackjack, craps, three-card poker, ultimate, Texas Hold'em. And they even have two sports books. And they've got a really nice hotel now, too, with trackside views to watch the races from your room. You don't have to leave your room. You can just watch it from there and lose all your money. (laughs) And I I don't know if Mafia is still entrenched in Hot Springs, but it definitely has a history there. We are 100% certain of that. Yes, indeed. And I'll end it by saying the next time you plan a trip to Sin City to live like gangsters for a week, just remember Arkansas did it first. Nice. Yeah. You want my fun fact? Yes. Okay, so is that mom and dad's right? And I was asking about Zeta's connection to the mob and all them, and Zeta's Yiddish for grandfather. I said that on the last episode, in case you haven't heard it. So if you hear Zeta, you're like, what is that? It means grandfather. So my Zeta knew Al Siegel, who was the cousin of uh, Bugsy Siegel. That's what my parents said, at least. Bugsy, yeah. Yeah. And Al had the Elmwood Casino in Windsor, Windsor? Yeah, Windsor Raceway in Ontario, Canada. Okay. And Zeta worked at the the Windsor sometimes. He did a lot of stuff with uh, racetracks. In Canada? Yeah, well, mom and her family are from Livonia, Michigan, just outside Detroit, so it's really not that far. And dad and mom were saying that sometimes Al and them, whoever them might be, (laughs) would call Zeta to wherever they were, sometimes at like 2 in the morning, to come and take pictures, especially if there's like celebrities like Dean Martin in town. Dude. And so Zeta would go and hang out with them, and they would take photographs, and he would just hang out with these celebrities and mobsters, and... Just chill with them. Group of 40 entourage. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know about all that, but I thought that was really cool because... That is cool. Uh, my grandfather, by trade, is a photographer. He did that in the Navy as well, among his other things that he had done for them. So he was a well-known photographer. He worked a lot of racetracks. He came down to Oaklawn as well and did stuff there. So he was really involved. I don't know exactly what he did for them. I don't know if I want to know, to be honest, huh. with his connections. But yeah. Like well, he, know, um, what's Bill, really funny, you talked about the brothel and the prostitutes and yes. stuff. Mom and dad used to always say that anytime, again, like Dean Martin and some of these other actors and celebrities were in town, they'd ask Zeta to get them hookers. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you know, Bill Clinton grew up in Hot, Hot Springs. Springs. Yep. And I saw where Babe Ruth liked to visit there as well in the so off season. I'm sure they were like, hey, hey. A bunch of other baseball players. So I guess my grandfather was in on the end. <laughs> guess so. Which, I mean, if you'd ever met the man, oh my gosh. I started doing stories to tell stories for, for days. days. And uh, I remember making a jar and he had to put 25 cents in every time he cussed when us kids were around. And by God, if he had done that every damn time, we'd be millionaires. <laughs> Zeta, put some money in that jar. We, yes, we'd get on to him. I ain't doing anything in that damn jar. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but I thought that was kind of cool. What a small world. Uh-huh. There's one in every episode. It feels I swear. Like. 
I think that's so cool, it though. Is. Well, thank y'all. Are we ready for this part? I'm ready, yeah. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Caught Red Podcast. We really appreciate you guys turning in. Turning. Turn around. Every now and then. <laughs> You're so weird. Thank you. You're welcome. It could be worse. I could be a bitch all the time. Anyways, thank y'all for turning. I'm going to do it again. I'm just going to start over. No. Yes. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Caught Red Podcast. We love all the interaction that we've been having with you guys, especially on Instagram. If you're new to this show, you can find our account on there, Caught Red Podcast, and it's spelled P-A-W-D. And you can listen to us on whatever platform you please. If you would be so kind and leave us a review so other crime and dog lovers can find us, we will be back with another case and some more horror next week. But until then, stay local, shop local, and murder local.